How's it, how many is excited? Amen? You excited to get God's Word into your heart right now? Are you? Two of you are, me and Michelle. Okay, see, that's what has to happen, y'all. Uh, the Word of God has to get in your heart. Uh, as, if you get the Word up here in your head, you've got some knowledge, uh, you got a history lesson, uh, maybe, maybe you got a, a life motto to live by, but a little motivational saying, but, but that Word has to make its way from your head down to your heart. Because if I can get this Word into your heart, you'll take it home with you. And if you can take it home with you, then it can revolutionize your house and revolutionize your life. And, and it will do something that will change your life forever. And that's what the Word of God is meant to do. This morning's title of our message is An Invitation from the Enemy. Mm? An Invitation from the Enemy. Now, if you are new to this series that we're doing. We are nearing the end of a series that we have called Unhindered. We have spent the entire summer preaching sermons, learning about the things that are hindering our faith, hindering our prayer life, and hindering our effectiveness in the world and in the lives of other people. We read about things in the book that we do not see lived out in our own Christian experience. And because of that, we say that something is hindering what's happening. And we've been trying to diligently figure out some things that are hindering us. I'm going to be dealing with a subject this morning, uh, and then another one tonight, and then next Sunday. We are, we are three sermons counting this one away from the conclusion of Unhindered. Have you enjoyed this series? Has it taught you anything? As a matter of fact, I've probably learned as much about prayer from studying for this sermon series than I ever have in the uh, 25 years of preaching the gospel. I, I honestly have learned more about what causes my prayers to be ineffective because some of you have the idea that as long as you say it out of your mouth, it's just going to be. And nothing could be farther from the truth because there's a lot of things that can hinder your prayers. And just because you say it doesn't mean... You can expect it. Amen. And we're going to be dealing with some of that this morning. And then tonight, man, we're really going to have some church tonight. If, if, you, if, if you are Pentecostal, come to church tonight because i got a plan. As long as the Holy Ghost will help me, uh, we're, going to, we're going to have some church tonight. And it's not online, so the only way that you uh, get it is if you are, are in the, the room. So uh, a few weeks ago in our series, we were in the book of Nehemiah, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And I'm going back there this morning, and I'm just going to uh, teach through a, a, a chapter or several verses of chapter 6. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along the Old Testament book of Nehemiah chapter 6, I, I will also bleed over into chapter 7. Let me give you a recap. If you were here a few weeks ago uh, and we were talking about Nehemiah, the reason the book is in the Bible is because it's a history of something that had happened to Israel. And if you remember correctly, uh, from uh, several weeks ago, Israel had been in captivity for 70 years. And they had been given permission to go back to their homeland and rebuild Jerusalem. And they had been trying to do so, but things weren't going well. A man named Nehemiah found out, heard through the grapevine that the city was still left in ruins and he got very discouraged and very upset. He wanted to do something about it. So he took a band of people and he went back to Jerusalem and he began project managing. And he started the process of rebuilding the walls and making sure the temple was just right and just so and that the people there were encouraged to build up their own houses. And so this is where we find uh, in Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Again, I'm going to break this up. I'm going to do a whole lot of preaching, and we're just going to keep coming back to the verses. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our, what's that word? Enemies. My sermon title this morning is Invitation from the Enemy. 
Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. I'm going to say that again for emphasis. My enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and no gaps remained. I'm going to say it again. My enemy found out I had done what God called me to do. I had finished the work. And I had left nothing undone. Mm. My enemies found out that I was fulfilling my destiny and my purpose. And decided at that time that they had to interject themselves. Listen to what he says. Found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. Nehemiah is not bragging. He's not talking about what he has accomplished. But he's went through a lot to get to this point. This was a hard project. This was tough work. Here's how hard it was. They'd been trying to do it for eight years. And they would start and then get discouraged and quit. And then they would start and get discouraged and stop. And then they would start and something would attack them and they would lay it down. And Nehemiah has come in and said, enough of this. After eight years, you should be farther along. After eight years, you should be doing better than this. It's time for somebody to get serious about the work that we're called to do. And Nehemiah came in with a plan, and he executed the plan. And here we find in verse 1 where he says, The wall is finished, and no gaps remain. So, The temple is built. You can go over to the book of Ezra, and you can read about that. The temple has been laid in position. And now that the temple is ready, Nehemiah has to get the people ready. Okay? Here's a quick principle for you. In the Old Testament, God used the temple to serve his people. In the New Testament, God uses his people to serve as a temple. Okay, in other words, he lives inside of you now. In the Old Testament, people had to go to the temple to be served. Now you are a temple that's supposed to serve. So so while they are rebuilding the city in Nehemiah, I'm going to challenge you this morning to understand that God is rebuilding you. So, so, So while we're going to be talking about Nehemiah rebuilding a city, I'm also going to be talking about God doing something inside of you. Construction. See, God is rebuilding your soul. Your soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Why not your spirit? Because if you are saved, your spirit is as good as it's ever going to get. If you are saved, you have God's Holy Spirit. It's not a part-time Holy Spirit that only activates on Sunday morning. If you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, your spirit is as good and as healthy as it's ever going to get. There is nothing wrong with the Holy Ghost. If you have an iPhone, it will constantly get glitches and need upgrades. It is not so with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never get upgraded. You have got all of Him that you are ever going to receive if you are a child of God in the room this morning. So God is doing some work in you, but it's not in your spirit, it's in your soul. God is trying desperately to get this under control. Your spirit is exactly where it needs to be. Up here... Look right here. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your husband. Don't look at your wife. Look up here. Up here, jacked up a little bit. In here, not as faithful as a coon hound. You, you, you need some work done. <laughs> and I'm not talking about Botox this morning, okay? So, so, so now, watch this. If you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to take you slowly into something so I can prove something to you. Proverbs is one of my favorite books of the Bible because it's, it's just rapid-fire wisdom nuggets. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28 says this. A person without self-control. A what? A person. Say person. A person without self-control is like a what? A person is like a city. 
Did you hear that? A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. So, in other words, a person in the Bible can be used as an example of a city. Say yes. So your soul is like a city. A city with broken down walls if you don't have any self-control. That means when we look at Nehemiah rebuilding an actual city, we should be able to apply the truths that we see here to us rebuilding our city. But in our case, our city is our soul. Nehemiah is having to rebuild the city walls. And I'm going to show you this morning that it's important for cities to have walls, especially in Nehemiah's day, because the walls was the only thing that kept the enemy out. So it was important for them to have walls. And if it's important for that city to have a wall, then you need to understand it's also important that your city have walls. So if your soul is like a city, that means God has put you in charge of your city. Congratulations. You have been voted in the mayor of your city. And as the mayor, you are in uh, control and have authority over the financial and the well-being of your city. How you doing? As the mayor of your city, you have been given the ability and the responsibility to defend and develop How's things under your leadership? How's them few pounds you's going to lose? Oh, it is quiet in this mortuary. Y'all mad at me already? It's going to be tough sledding. How, how you doing with that, uh, d- that bridge development where you's going to try to rebuild bridges in your relationships? How's that going? Everybody's making fun of the bridge going on down here. Everybody's making fun because it takes a long time to build a bridge. You've been trying to build bridges with your mama for 50 years and ain't got there yet. So what you complaining about? Hello? Is this on? Am I still? I know y'all didn't get raptured because I'm still here. So how are you doing with the construction of the rebuild? If your soul is a city, God has put you in control of what's going on on the inside. Now, I see your hairdo. I see your fit this morning. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the stuff that only you and God knows about. I'm talking about the stuff that goes on in your soul. How are you doing in there? Because only you and God really see it. Most scholars believe that the book of Proverbs was written by a man named Solomon. If you're not familiar with Solomon, he would be the perfect person to write about not having self-control. If you're not familiar with Solomon, let me fill you in. He just wrote that a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Do you know what happens when a city has broken down walls? Anything can get in at any time. Solomon is the world's leading expert on things getting in that shouldn't be in. Let me help you. The first king of Israel was named Saul. His son Jonathan should have been the next king. But because Saul was disobedient to God, God removed his hand from Saul's house. Saul and Jonathan both died on the battlefield, and God actually skipped over Saul's house and anointed David's house to be the next king. And not only the next king, but he said that the kingship would never leave David's house. So David's house will rule and reign forever. So Saul was the first king. David followed after him. And after David came David's son, Solomon. Solomon was born from an extramarital affair with a woman named Bathsheba. Hold on to that nugget because I'm going to come back to it in a little bit. Okay? So, so we have Saul to David, David to Solomon. And Solomon is on the throne in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. 
Wait a minute, Solomon. You said a man with no self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab and Ammon and Edom and Sidon and from among the Hittites. Verse 2, the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. <laughs> when a man loves them. Verse 3 says he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. I see some of you women rolling your eyes right now. Now, now listen, listen, I do not ever, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I never contradict the word. Ever. The word says what it means and means what it says. However, if this is the wisest man to ever live, I'm still working on this. Because this is a mystery of God right here to me. This is the wisest man who ever lived, and he willingly got a thousand women, married 700 of them, 300 side chicks. And he's the, he's the wisest. <laughs> Woo! He married 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines, and in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Verse 4, in Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Now notice what it says. They turned his heart from the Lord. Are you following me? In other words, Solomon started letting other things come in. Not directly, pay attention, he did not directly start worshiping other gods. He did not turn toward other gods. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says he turned toward the women. And the women turned him. Mm, you missed it. He turned, he did not directly start out saying, I'm going to worship false gods. That was not his intention. His intention was to get some loving. And a whole bunch of it. And he turned his heart toward the women. Once they had his heart, they turned it to other gods. So we are far more easily influenced than we think we are. We are more influenced than we'd like to admit we are. Like a city without walls, we can allow anything, anybody, any thought, any feeling, any impulse, anything that you want to touch, anything that you want to say, anything that you want to watch, anything that you want to get involved in, you want to look at it, you want to feel it, you want to taste it, you want to snort it, you want to smoke it, you want to touch it, you want to be involved in it, anything can get in if you don't have walls. When you don't see your soul as a city... And realize that it's your responsibility to defend the city, then just anything can get inside your city. Now, that includes wrong influences, that includes evil tendencies. And if you're going to get your prayer life unhindered, you're going to have to keep out some stuff that your flesh wants to let in. I'm not going to be popular this morning. I feel the resistance rising up. But me and the Holy Ghost ain't afraid of none of you. So, The first thing you need to do to get control of the city of your soul is to make sure your walls are up. But that's just the first install that you have to make. Yes, you need to build the walls. But let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 6 and finish verse 1. All of that was the middle of verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. He said, we built the walls, there's no gaps in the walls, and yet we have not set up the doors in the gates. 
So Sanballat and Gasham sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Pay attention to this part. You don't just fight spiritual battles one time and they go away. Verse 4. Four times. Say four times. Four times they sent the same message and each time I gave them the same reply. In other words, you do not win spiritual battles once and it's over with. I know in this name it and claim it, grab it and blab it generation that you have seen too many TV preachers tell you that you just speak a thing and it is. I've got good, I've got, I've got Bible uh, uh, tendencies and, and prescriptions to tell you that that is not true because there are some promises that you are not worthy to walk in as long as your walls are down. Y'all are not going to help me, but I'm going to tell you the truth this morning whether or not you believe it. You can't just lay claim and snatch promises out of the Word of God when you are neglecting the commandments of the Word. That is not the way this works. You can't pluck scriptures out and say, this is mine and this is my promise and I'm going to operate in it, while all the while neglecting to realize that he has made commandments. Commandments like, if you really love me, you will do what I tell you to do. If you want to get to heaven, you will submit to my authority. You're going to walk in my light as I have shown it to your path, not choose your own way because my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are above your thoughts and you will come under my auspice and my government. You won't rule yourself, but you will be under submission to me. And the Bible is teaching us something here. Once the walls was up, the enemy kept coming back. Why? They kept coming back. They gave him a false prophecy. They lied to him. They said, we want you to come down and hide in the temple because somebody's trying to kill you. Nehemiah said four times, four times, they sent the same invitation. Four times my enemies sent me the same invitation, but I kept telling them no. Notice with me, the enemy kept getting messages to Nehemiah even though the walls were up. Even though the walls were up, the invitation from the enemy kept coming. And not only, not only was the walls up, did you pay attention to what he said? He said no gaps remain. In other words, we were very thorough when we laid this wall. Like, we did the job right. It was plumb. It was square. There was no gaps. The mortar joints was filled. We did everything right. But we had not yet set up the doors. We built the walls, and we, we were diligent about putting up the walls. But we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. What good does it do you to build walls if you don't install the doors? See, the enemy kept bringing messages and temptations because, listen, the temptation and the message, the invitation from the enemy was this. Why don't you quit? Why don't you stop your work and come down and meet with us? It was an invitation from the enemy. The invitation was, why don't you stop doing what you're doing for God and come down here and talk to us? And the reason that the invitation was able to be received was because while they were diligent to build the walls, the walls only secured most of the city. So while they were mostly secure and mostly enclosed and mostly complete, they left the doors open. And if you are diligent about establishing the walls, but you never install the doors, the enemy can still get his messages of discouragement to you and try to convince you to quit your work. Now, now, let's, let's look at this because the Bible says in verse 1, chapter 6, that the enemies heard that they had rebuilt the wall. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me asking me to meet them in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. We got two things happening from these scriptures all at the same time. Nehemiah is making progress in what he's called to do. In other words, he's pleasing God and he gets an invitation from the enemy to quit at the same time. You don't always have to be living in sin for the devil to be whispering in your ear. See, see, see. Here's, here's the idea of my message. 
I can be making progress for God. I can be building His kingdom. I can be trying to treat my soul like a city, making sure that I nourish myself with the Word of God. I'm chasing after the Spirit. I'm trying to get my prayer life unhindered. But if I do not cut off access from the enemy's messages, if I don't get the doors in place, if I don't hang doors where there are openings, all these walls are not going to do me any good because a sturdy wall without doors in place allows my enemy to get in still. So you can build a sturdy wall, but if you don't put the correct doors up, your enemy still has access to you. So what do you do when you're making progress for God, but you get an invitation from the enemy? How do you handle an invitation not a physical enemy, because remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I mean, if it was a physical enemy, you just slap the taste out of their mouth. Be done with it. You take a ball bat across the way and, and deal with your neighbor. But this is not going to go away that easily. These are spiritual battles. He said it was an enemy, and the enemy wanted a meeting. Doesn't it seem odd to you that the enemy didn't ask for a fight? The enemy didn't ask for warfare. He didn't ask for combat. He asked for a meeting. See, see, if the enemy would have came in and said, let me come in and attack your marriage, why, you'd say no. But that's not what he said. He said, hey, here's an invitation for you and I to have a chat. Let's talk. If he came in and said, I really want to distract you from your prayer life. I really want to distract you from having the joy of the Lord. I really, really want to come in and cause you all kinds of chaos so that you think about quitting church. You would slam the door in his face and say, no. But he didn't say that. He said, let's talk. Let's have a meeting. Let's you and me just sit down and reason. To... Let's, you, let's you and I just have a, a chat. Let's just talk a spell. He's not looking to pick a fight. He's looking to have... A meeting. Four times the enemy sent an invitation to talk. And four times Nehemiah said no. Which shows us something that we can live by. When the enemy speaks to you, it's not a command. The best the enemy can do is make suggestions. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you something that you probably should have heard about three years ago. You don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. Sometimes it's not the hill that you need to die on, and you certainly don't need to crucify your reputation on a hill just to prove a point and to show a dummy that they are dumb. <laughs> I thought I might get an amen right there. See, see when, you, when you receive the invitation from an enemy, it's up to you to decide what to do with it. And the first thing you realize is just, just because he invites you does not mean you have to attend. How many of you got an invitation from the enemy just this week? I raised my hand. I raised both my hands. Let me show you something. The reason the enemy offers an invitation is because you're making progress. When did the enemy send the invitation to Nehemiah? When they heard the walls was being finished. They were making progress. They were accomplishing what God called them. I just got goosebumps on my goosebumps. They were accomplishing what they were called to do. And when they got to the point of completion, the enemy heard that they were doing great things for God and sent an invitation to stop the work. And Nehemiah's question or his response was, why should I come down? I am doing a great work and why should I lower myself to your standards and stop what I am doing for God because I am doing something that is way too important to come down to your level
Church, hear me. When the devil sends you an invitation, it's an invitation, not a subpoena. You don't have to appear. You're not required under a penalty from law. When he makes an invitation, you have the right to say, no, not today, not in this season. What I'm doing is too important. I don't have time to let you come in and attack my marriage and attack my children and attack my ministry and attack my peace of mind. I'm doing a good work. Why would I lower myself to your standards? No, 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 no. When he sends you an invitation to doubt that the word says he's a healer, you just have to say no. When he sends you an invitation to doubt that fear gives way to faith, you have to say no. When he says that God has forgotten you and forsaken you, you have to respond by saying no. I'm doing something too important. I'm building something to I'm trying to build a family. I'm trying to build a legacy. I'm trying to build a ministry. I'm trying to build my faith life. And I am doing too important of a work to come down to your level. No, devil, no. Too many of us are accepting every invitation he sends us. And the problem is this. You don't have to take him up on his offer. Your ministry, your marriage, your peace of mind is too important for you to be attending every meeting that the enemy invites you to. Remember, remember, he built a wall, but they had no doors. That left them vulnerable. When, when you came to Jesus, is anybody saved in here? Maybe that's my problem this morning. Nobody's saved. I should have started with the altar. Got everybody saved first. Okay, so when you got saved, you gave up some stuff real quick. It's just me and Sarah. When you got saved, you gave up some stuff real quick. And then... There's some stuff you liked more. First thing I give up every fast is Brussels sprouts. I mean, I give them up in a minute. I will fast Brussels sprouts till Jesus comes back to collect his own. I don't like Brussels sprouts. You ain't going to catch me eating them off a fast, during a fast. After a fast, before one, I ain't never going to eat them because I don't like them. And some of us, that's what we did. We gave up the easy stuff real quick. But then, through the course of time, the Holy Spirit starts challenging you on some of the things you held on to. Because some of the stuff you didn't give up because you liked it more than, than the other stuff. And, and here's the thing. You keep waiting on God to take the struggles away from you, the addiction. The fear. You keep waiting on God to take the struggle away from you, the patterns, the tendencies. But you are in control of your city, and you haven't hung any doors. (laughs) See, here's the problem. You don't get an invitation until you're about to do something valuable. And when the enemy hears that you are about to do something valuable, that's when the attacks start. That's when the invitations start. Everybody is happy on their honeymoon, but when that marriage starts into that next phase where you're going to have to learn how to tolerate each other and you realize they're not perfect, and just because they walked on water one time, it was probably because every time you see them, Something rises up inside of you. There's an invitation of the enemy for you to start condemning them, to start conspiring against them. There's an invitation that comes along and says, you remember all them times they said that to you? All them times they were ugly to you? All them times they hurt you? There's an invitation coming from the enemy. And you have to decide whether you're going to attend that pity party or not. You're going to attend that meeting or not. When they get in your mind and they start crystallizing and they start speaking things that that you're responsible for, you have to realize that that is an invitation from the the enemy and you have to realize that you don't have to go along with it. The reason that the invitation comes is because something valuable is about to come out. Nobody messed with Jerusalem when they were laying in rubble. When the walls were broken up and the temple was destroyed, 
Nobody was messing with Jerusalem, but when the enemy heard that the walls was rebuilt and the temple was rebuilt, that's when the enemy got interested. I'm preaching better than you're shouting, but that's okay. Hear me, the devil will never mess with you as long as you're living hindered. As long as you are living in a hindered state and your prayers are not accomplishing what you want them to and you're not free and you are bound and you got all kinds of struggle going on in your life, the devil will not mess with you. He will bring you lemonade and fruit trays. He, he will be your butler. He will tell you, he'll pet you down and tell you everything is all right as long as you're not doing anything valuable. But the moment you come to promise a victory and get an anointing on your life to do better than you are doing and you make up your mind that you're going somewhere, that when the devil's going to start inviting you. That's when you start making progress for God, that's when the attacks kick in. So when the walls are built but the doors aren't up yet, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. You can still get messages from the devil. How about your doors? How are they today? Are they wide open? Or you got them tightly shut? How you doing? How about the doors of your heart? Where are they at? How about your social media doors? Because I'm about to slam mine clean shut and dislocate it off the hinges. I'm, I'm just about fed up with it because I realize that when you wrestle with pigs, you both come out dirty, but the pig likes it. And I, I see that I'm doing more harm to myself than good, and I'm about to shut a door in my life. So how about your love thy neighbor as yourself door? How you doing with that? How about the getting over yourself? You ain't that important. Door. How about it ain't all about you, door? You don't. How, how are you doing with your doors? Because <laughs> setting the doors in place is how you prepare yourself for trouble before the attack comes. I'm gonna get in trouble right here. We love shouting over the enemy is defeated. Giants do fall. We love shouting over that stuff. But do you realize that all them victories come after a long fight? Why don't we ever prepare before the battle shows up? Why don't we do anything in preparation before the devil ever shows up? Because when we don't have any doors, we're unprotected, we're unprepared, and then we have to fight to take back what God already gave us in the first place. Because we never hung the doors. Too many people want God to give them victories over enemies that they invited in. Twenty twenty three church, we got our priorities out of whack. We don't have any order anymore. We have prioritized our life. To the point where nothing that feeds our spirit is as important as what feeds our flesh. So when somebody comes in on Sunday morning and says, do you feel like going to church today? Well, yeah, well, nobody's at the lake and none of the kids have any ball. No kids got any ball games and nobody's going on vacations. In other words, we don't prioritize the things that feed our spirit. If it sounds like I'm fussing at you, it's because I'm fussing at you. But, but not at you. I'm, I want to be fussing with you because this is a whole generation thing, not a promise of victory problem. Because we have a generation of churchgoers that, that has become a lukewarm body of Christ that doesn't put the most important stuff in place. We don't hang our doors where they are important. And we wonder why the devil is coming in and plucking our kids out from our house and stealing our marriages and causing us to fall apart. And it's because God gave you the walls and you refused to install the doors. I'm making babies cry, I'm making some of y'all cry. So let's move on to chapter 7. In chapter 7, they finally get the doors in place. 7 and verse 1. After the wall was finished and had set up the doors and the gates, the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. Has the devil been knocking on your door? Trying to discourage you, trying to tell you, come on down and let's, let's talk. Has he sent an invitation to anybody? Because in the next two verses, Nehemiah is going to show us how to deal with it when you get an invitation from the devil. 
He puts two guards at the gate. And he didn't just put them at the gate. He gave them instructions. Verse 3 says, And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun be hot. Let's let's pay, pay attention to this. And I said to them, Do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day. And while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut and bar the doors. Okay, the other, there's another translation that says this. Don't open the gates until it's the hottest part of the day. And then close it. Which was unorthodox. Because in Old Testament days, they would raise the temple gates at daybreak. Nehemiah knew they were vulnerable. Nehemiah knew that when things are dark, you can't afford to leave your doors open. So he says, wait until the sun is at the hottest part of the day. Open them. Let the people in that's supposed to be in. Let the people out that need to get out. And then shut them gates back down. Because we can't afford to just open our gates when it's dark out. When I'm in a dark season, hear me, some of y'all have been in a dark season where you've had suicidal thoughts, some of you have been depressed, some of you have battled fits of anxiety, can I give you some help? You can't afford to leave your gates open when you are in your darkest moments. You have got to prepare your doorways and make sure that you have got them shut. But listen, he didn't just say shut them, he said shut them and bar them. Keep the doors shut when it's dark And even while the gatekeepers, verse 3, are on duty, have them shut and bar the doors, anoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some of them will serve as sentry posts and some in front of their own homes. To bar the doors means this. Not only do you have to shut them, you got to make sure they're locked. Because a shut door is still an invitation. Can I help you? Because it's not just an invitation to an enemy trying to get in. It's also an invitation to your weak mind. Because when you shut the door to divorce, but you don't lock the door, you've always got that option. So every time things aren't going exactly the way you want them to, you start thinking in your mind, I can always leave. Every time somebody's not pleasing you at work, I can always quit. Every time God's not answering your prayers the way you want to, I can always backslide. As long as you don't have the door locked, as long as you don't have the door barred, you are, uh, you are an accident waiting to happen. And can I tell you, you can't leave anything to chance. That's what Nehemiah is telling us about our doors. we got to shut them and we got to lock them because what's behind those doors is too important. It's too valuable. Your purpose is back there. Your kids are back there. Your marriage is back there. You better make sure it's shut, especially if it's dark out. When you are feeling the most vulnerable, that is when you have got to shut your doors, turn worship music on, open that book that you have collected dust on called the Word of God, and get your nose buried in that book. Turn off Netflix. Get off of Facebook and put your face in the book, and you can start finding freedom. Because I preached all morning to say this, your thoughts are doors. Your eyes are doors. Your ears are doors. So you are in charge of your city. You are praying for God to deliver you from enemies that you let in. And you don't have to be saved to understand this. Even even lost people understand this. Throw throw up Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1. You remember when Israel was about to take Jericho? Jericho was not God's people. They were heathens. And and the Bible says this, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. Even heathens know. Even heathens know that when I'm vulnerable, it says they were afraid. When I'm vulnerable, i got to keep my door shut. Because I can't let in what I'm afraid of. Some of us come to church praying out of situations we invited in. Ooh, it got quiet in here. And even God's enemies understood that when it's dark and I'm vulnerable, 
I've got to keep myself shut in. Your soul is like a city. Once you get the doors in place, you've got to find the right locks. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 tells us, above all else, what? What's that word? Guard your heart. Because everything you do flows out of it. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. You are walking around, a lot of you, with absolutely no guardrails around this thing and wondering why it's broke all the time. Jump into relationships, jump into jobs, jump into career choices, jump into this, jump into that. I'm going to, I'm going to move to uh, Alaska. I'm going to take this job with this company. I'm going to move in with this person. I'm going to move this person. In. And you have no guardrails around this plane. And then you wonder why it's left shattered and broke so often. And the Bible plainly tells you to guard your heart. So I'm going to give you eight keys. If you got eight locks, you got to have... Eight keys. I'm going to give you eight keys to help you shut and bar your heart. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Number one, the Word. Say the Word. Y'all are asleep on me already. I, I know we got chicken afterward, but don't fall asleep on me just yet. Because the Word will tell you what to do, but it will also tell you what not to do. You have to value the Word over anything else, like what you want. You don't have to ask me. People ask me all the time, Pastor, what do you think about Roe v. Wade? It is irrelevant what I think because what I think is, it matters not. But what's the God of the cosmos have to say about it? I will stand on the Word. You shouldn't even care what I think about any of it because it's irrelevant what I think, but what the Word says about it is what we hold on to. The second thing is your conscience. In other words, if your conscience is not clear, don't do it. How many times, if I had a nickel for every time somebody sat in my office with a completely destroyed life and they said, I had a feeling this was the wrong, t well, why'd you do it? I felt like the Lord didn't want me to. Why did you chase it? Your conscience was warning you before you got in the mess. Keep your doors shut. Guard your heart. The third thing is love for God. If anything comes between me and my love for God, then that thought, that action, that deed, that word is dead wrong. I have to love God above everything else. The Bible talks about a man named Demas. When you read about him in Colossians, he's with Luke preaching the gospel. When you read about him in Philemon, he's with Luke and Mark preaching the gospel. But by the time we get over to 2 Timothy, Paul writes a letter to Timothy and says, Demas has forsaken me because he loved this present world. So Demas had left the ministry because he he loved the world more than he loved God. And I cannot begin to tell you how many ministers I've watched go down that same road. It's an identity crisis. Because what you love will eventually end up in your life. And if you love anything, if you love your lust above God, lust is going to take God's place. I remember a time in holiness churches I'd preach at and people get excited. Now you get mad. If, if what you desire is more important than God in your life, what you desire will take God's place in your life. You're having an identity crisis. Number four, love for other people. You don't like this one, but you need to prefer what other people think about you. The Bible teaches us that we should, think more, we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We should give preference to other people. In other words, if what you're about to do, if what you're about to say is going to ruin your witness, don't do it. Guard your heart. Think about it before you open your big fat mouth and stick your little skinny foot in it. Before you condemn your children, before you condemn your spouse, before you condemn your coworker, think about this. How are they going to see me in light of the scriptures after this? How are they going to consider my witness after I say this, after I do this? Think about those things. It will help you guard your heart. I'm going to put five and six together. If it won't bring glory to God, it's not for me. And if it doesn't move me toward God, it's not for me. Where are you headed to? Because wherever your affection is, the Bible teaches you you're going to end up there. Have you ever come out of Walmart and know where your car is and you walk to that section and you're like, somebody moved my car while I was in? Because I know I parked. And then you start doing the walk of shame. Trying to hear a beep. Looking for, anybody else or is it just me? Like, like I know I put somebody.
somebody moved my car while I was in Walmart, and I had the keys. But somebody, and then you start just walking through the park, parking lot doing this, and then you, then you remember. Oh, that's right. I parked over here. I thought I was going to get groceries, and I ended up over here in Lawn and Garden. And uh huh. Where are you heading? Where are you heading to? Because if you're not, if where you're doing going is not moving you toward God, you need to cut it out of your life. Because listen, this is valuable. Remind yourself often that you are headed somewhere. Here's why. When you remind yourself that you're heading somewhere, you will eliminate some people off your list immediately. Because some people ain't heading where you're heading. And you can eliminate them off of your friends list, off of your potential spouse list, off of your BFF list. You can just eliminate them, right? Just go ahead and cancel them right off your Facebook account because they ain't heading where you're heading. Number seven, if I can't have it and be free, let it be. Samson thought he could have God's anointing and Delilah. And when he came to himself and realized that he was losing the anointing because he had to have this woman, he realized too late that he had lost God and God had left him because he couldn't have her and him. And number eight, if it costs me my peace, the price is too high. I'm old and cantankerous now, so I'll just tell you the truth. Because when I was young, I tried to please everybody, and now I'm just old. If you are full of drama, I avoid you like COVID. I don't have no time for drama anymore. I don't, listen, I, when I was, when I was uh, constantly being bombarded by questions about stuff, I realized that some people don't want to be helped. Some people just want confirmation that what they're doing makes sense to somebody else. Because they want doors but no locks. There's a man in your Bible named David. David had more than one son. Solomon was not his only son. He also had a son named Absalom. Absalom decided he wanted to take his father's kingdom. He was led by an older man named Ahithophel. Ahithophel, at one time for 10 years, served as David's number one counselor. As a matter of fact, it was said of him that his words were so wise that they were like the angels speaking. That when he gave strategy in battle, if you followed his strategy, you would always be victorious. That's what it was said of him. And when he switched sides after a decade of serving David, he decided he was going to back Absalom and he was going to go against David and help Absalom lead a rebellion to overthrow David. And you wonder, why would a man who has served David so faithfully for so long suddenly turn on him? One word, bitterness. One invitation. Ahithophel, when you read the Bible, you'll find out that he had a son. His son was the father of a woman named Bathsheba. Ahithophel watched what happened to his granddaughter, Bathsheba. How David seduced her, impregnated her, and had her husband killed. And he watched and seethed, and a root of bitterness sprung up inside of him. And he decided he was going to help take David's throne because David had hurt his family, even though David married Bathsheba and made her the preferred queen. And had Ahithophel lived long enough, he would have saw his grandson become the king. And I say had he lived long enough because when Absalom's rebellion fell apart, Ahithophel killed himself. 
Bitterness took him all the way to the grave. How many of you have accepted that invitation from the enemy? How about anger? How about jealousy? How about a raging hatred of somebody who did you wrong? How many of you have got an invitation from the enemy that you have said yes to because you didn't guard your heart? An open door lets the voice of the enemy come in. A door that is never hung lets the invitation come in from the enemy. Doors are meant to keep the right people in and keep the wrong people out. When you go over and read the book of Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said, Behold, he's at the church. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear, if you open the door, I will come in. And we will eat together. Some of you have been eating from the wrong table for a long time. Because of who you opened the door for. Some of you have been eating with, at the table of bitterness for way longer than you needed to. Some of you have been eating at the table with fear for decades. Some of you have been waiting, eating at the table of, I just, I'll just endure this because God really doesn't have anything better for me. You have had self-pity. You have had malice in your heart. You have lived with fear and cantankerous attitudes. And you have been eating at the wrong table for a long time. And it had nothing to do with an attack from the enemy. He just invited you to sit down and eat with him. And you accepted the invitation. But doors were put up to keep the right people in and keep the wrong people out. And Jesus said, if you'll open the door to me, I'll come in and I'll sit down and I'll eat with you. I wonder how many of you have accepted the wrong invitation. I wonder how many people knows good and well that where you are is not where you should be. Your attitude's not exact. I'm not even talking about salvation, although that's the first step to right reconciliation with Christ, and that's the most important thing you're ever going to settle. But I'm, I'm specifically talking to folks that's already settled that. But you're not free. The Bible says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And one of the locks to guard your heart is if I can't do this and be free, I can't do this. And if you're doing it in secret, you're doing it hoping nobody finds out, you're doing it behind closed doors, you're doing it and you know it's wrong, you're not free. So when you speak your prayers, your prayers are hindered. And you wonder why mama's cancer's not leaving. You wonder why your backslidden prodigals aren't coming home. Your prayers, James tells us a double-minded man need not ask anything of God because you're just blown about. God's not even hearing your prayers because the first thing you have to do is sit down at the right table. i got to settle this thing between me and God, and trust me, trust me when I tell you this, I have to do this as much as anybody. And I'm not even talking about sin all the time. Sometimes I'm bound by fear, doubt. Sometimes I get a critical spirit. I just, I just accepted an invitation from the enemy 
two weeks ago. I stopped writing sermons. Kristen came to me and says, what are you going to preach for August? Because I need to be working on graphics. I said, I ain't going to preach in August. I'm just going to have other people do it. They ain't listening to me. Nobody's changing nothing. I've been preaching for 25 years. They're not growing. They're not receiving. They're not hearing. They're not changing. They're not bending. They're not growing. I'm just going to take August off. I work too hard for this thing to just fall at my feet and nobody pick it up. You know what I did? You have any idea what I just did? I accepted an invitation from the enemy. So you're not alone. You think I'm picking on you. No, I'm right there with you. We all do it. The thoughts you have about your marriage that you know God didn't, Holy Ghost did not inspire you to put something in his drink. That was not a heavenly thought. Holy Ghost did not inspire those thoughts of, I wonder what he'd look like with my pillow over his face. I, look at that stupid face over there anyway. He got slobber hanging all over him. Nobody even miss him if he was gone. He's useless. Nobody even pay. He don't text nobody back. I texted him nine days ago, and I'm still waiting on a reply. Would anybody even notice if I killed? That ain't the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Whose invitation have you Accept it, because I'm going to tell you, I'm ashamed to admit how often I'm willing to sit down at the table with the wrong person and eat what they're serving. And the harder life gets, and the more you come under pressure, the easier it is for you to forget that Jesus is the one standing at the door. Why do you think he went to the church and he said, I'm how ridiculous is it that we're having church and Jesus is outside? We're having like they were inside. And he said, I stand at the door. Why is Jesus outside? What are we doing in, in the house if Jesus is outside? Well, we're having service, but we're not having breakthrough. We're having ritual and religion, but we're not having relationship. And we wonder why there's no healings taking place, and we wonder why demons aren't running away. Some churches are just having church and don't even realize Jesus is still outside the building. Behold, I stand out the side and I knock. And he said three things have to happen. You, first, you have to, you have to hear it first. You have to hear when Jesus is knocking. Then you have to be willing to open the door. Because the doors don't just keep out the people you want to keep out. It lets in the right people. So you got to be able to distinguish between the invitation of the enemy and the invitation of your Savior. Because he stands there and knocks. The enemy's not the only one coming, knocking on the door. So is Jesus. And I need you, Jesus. I need you to occupy my thoughts. Is there anybody else in the room that knows that the doors to your mind need to be open to Jesus and closed to the enemy? Why don't you just right now be begin all over this room to start praying if that's you? How about, how about some of you that know that there's some things that you do in the dark that you're ashamed of that you, you hope nobody ever finds out about but you know that God knows about it and you hear Him knocking right now at the door of your heart and you won't lose from this and you won't freedom for this. Why, why don't you just right now begin to say, God, I need, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I invite you in and I, and I evict the enemy. I, I accept your invitation, Jesus, and I evict the enemy how about some of you that are facing the hardest time that you've ever faced in your life and you know that you need you know you need an intervention from God but you know that you are expecting way more from him than you have given yourself I need a hundred percent of God but I've only been given forty percent of me but that has to stop today I accepted an invitation from the enemy and I got distracted and I've been chasing money and I've been chasing career and I've been chasing relationships and it's taken me away from you and Jesus I hear you right now I hear you knocking at the door of my heart come in Lord Jesus come in Lord Jesus and fill my soul fill my mind fill my thoughts fill my emotions 
I want to guard my heart against the wickedness that it's trying to get in. I want to guard my heart against the darkness that's surrounding me. I don't care what they say. You can't stop them from posting. You can't stop them from criticizing you. You can't stop them from talking. You can't stop them from spreading lies. Unfortunately, stupidity is not criminal. You can't stop them from being crazy. But just because they're talking around you doesn't mean you have to open the door and let what they're saying get inside of you. Keep your door shut to the enemy's invitation and only open it for the one that will set you free. The one that will liberate you, the one that will heal you. And then all of a sudden you'll find that you're in communion with him. And when you speak, you're speaking his words because you know what he wants for you. Why don't you just spend some time right now talking to him and inviting him in? If there's anybody in here that needs to come to the altar this morning and say, yes, I, I, I definitely, I feel, I feel this in my spirit. Come, Lord. I need you. I, I, have, I have received way too many invitations from the devil. I have received way too many. Uh, I've, I've accepted too many invitations to come to him. And today I want to I I take the opportunity to say, yes, come Lord Jesus. I hear you knocking. If that's you this morning, make your way up to this altar and just spend some time in his presence. Just spend some time saying, i got to keep my door shut. Holy Ghost, I need you to help me not just shut, but bar the door. I need locks on this thing. I, I need the strength to overcome. i got to delete some numbers out of my phone. i gotta, I got to unfriend some people on social media. They are no good for me. They keep my door open to the enemy. And I need an invitation from you, Holy Ghost. I receive it. I accept it this morning in the name of Jesus.